Hi, this is Andrew, and this is Keynote, the daily now.tv chat show with some of the world's leading thinkers and writers. Hello, everybody. It is Thursday, September the 21st, 2023. I always like to have counterintuitive people on my show, and one person who I enjoyed having uh, about a year ago was Maisha Cherry. Uh, she's a philosopher based in Southern California, and she has some interesting takes on how we think about traditional virtues. So, for example, she came on the show to defend the idea of anger or rage. She had, uh, she had a book out called The Case for Rage, Why Anger is Essential to Anti-Racist Struggle, it's a book very much based around the ideas of Audrey Lord. Uh, it was interesting that um, the same week I think I interviewed um, uh, uh, Maisha, I also uh, interviewed Randall Kennedy from the Harvard Law School, who has quite a different position on anger and rage versus reason. And now uh, Maisha has another counterintuitive book out, another questioning of stuff that many of us take for granted on the moral front. Uh, she had her new book, which is out this week, Failures of Forgiveness, What We Get Wrong and How to Do Better. She's on book tour right now. She's talking to us from New York City. She's doing an event tonight at Greenlight Books in Brooklyn, if any of you are around there. Maisha, are you suggesting in this new book that we shouldn't forgive? <laughs> At least that's what someone might think. Well, I, I think that if we have reasons to give, if, if a victim wants to forgive, then they should do just that. And that's, a, that's an admirable or a virtuous uh, response to wrongdoing. But one of the things I'm trying to get us to do is to also have respect for those who decide not to forgive and uh, kind of agree with the fact that they too will have more reasons to, to, to do so. And that act within itself can also, be, can also be a virtuous act. So I'm trying to change the way in which we think about forgiveness and withholding forgiveness think about its limits what it can do and what we also need to do in order to recover from wrongdoing the books seem in in some ways connected um the case for rage and shall we say a, a case against at least universal <laughs> forgiveness uh, is yeah. there a connection if you are rageful and if what you're saying is is done if, if people listen to your advice and they are full of anger and that's a good thing is it harder to forgive if you're angry? Yeah, so typically people, when people think about forgiveness, they do think about, oh, forgiveness is all about the, the letting go of our, of our anger that we have. And at least I call that kind of narrow, the narrow view. It's a very popular view. Um, but I think it's narrow. I don't think it's the wrong way to think about forgiveness. I just think that it's, it's, it's a quite narrow way to think about forgiveness. So I think that forgiveness can involve the letting go of anger or the moderation of, of anger but it also can involve other more practices, right? So it may be the case where I don't have anger. So my forgiveness may entail the letting go of the hatred that I have towards the wrong door, or it could entail kind of refusal to kind of engage in and, 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 and revenge. So anger does indeed, or sometimes may play a role, but I'm trying to get us to rethink and kind of broaden our conception about what, what, what forgiveness can be. So it could be the case, you know, um, that I decide to stop hating the wrongdoer and I still hold on to my anger. And I want to say that too can count as, 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 as forgiveness. So you can forgive 
and still hold on to anger, still moderate it. Um, and uh, so therefore anger and, and forgiveness is very much, very much compatible. I think that's probably the most controversial claim um, in the book, but that's what I'm trying to argue. Maisha, wise people, men in particular, but also women over the years, have always tried to convince us to forgive everybody from, you note in your book, from the Stoic philosopher Cicero, pre-Christian philosopher, to the contemporary philosopher Oprah Winfrey. Before we get to a critique of, of, of Cicero or, or Oprah, why do you think so many philosophers are in the business of trying to convince us to forgive? I think it's a path towards going forward in the future. I think it's, it's, it's a path to kind of um, reconcile with the past and to repair our world. Um, so I, I think, you know, because it serves that particular, that particular goal and it be, it's a vehicle towards something much greater. Um, I think that's why I'm so interested in the topic. And I think that's why a lot of us are uh, obs obsessed with it. I think for me, what I'm trying to get people to think is that it's not the only path towards repair or towards reconciliation. And sometimes we have a tendency to think um, that when it comes to forgiveness being that way towards a, a better world, that only the forgiver or only the victim has a role to play in repairing our world. And I'm trying to get us to think that it's more than just the, the victim. And so in that way, it's more than just forgiveness that's really gonna do the work of repair and reconciliation. It's gonna take the wrong door, apologizing, admitting, admitting they're wrong, uh, vowing not to do it again. It's gonna take the, the, the community, um, standing up for injustice, supporting, uh, supporting the victim, not pressuring the victim. And so forgiveness is not the only way towards reconciliation, but forgiveness within itself is not enough. It's insufficient to get us towards the kind of world that we want to create. Is there an implicit critique in, your, in, in this book and indeed in your work more broadly of Christian theology? After all, the notion of turning the other cheek is uh, one of the central tenets in, in Christianity. Yeah, I, I want to say that the, the, that's one of the things that came up in my thinking. Um, as a, a philosopher, I, I wanted to kind of write a book that was kind of based on, on, on certain kinds of principles, universal principles, that is. Um, but I also grew up in a, in a Christian household. Um, and I kind of echo the, this in the book that a lot of my thinking about forgiveness was kind of rooted in, in Christian, Christian ideas. And there's no doubt that the kind of Christian principle is, is to forgive other people because God has forgiven you. And so it seems to be kind of this, this command in a sense that we ought to forgive each other, uh, that we ought to turn the other cheek. I think what I'm trying to get people to question is what does that really mean? Mm. It's, it's interesting that the, the Bible really doesn't lay out what forgiveness actually is. Um, it's, also, it's also interesting, someone had brought up in, in one of my, my book talks in DC last night, brought up the notion of, of turning the other cheek. And it, it, you know, because you read my previous book, I would say we need to investigate exactly what that really means. Um, because the turning the other cheek really means that I, that I don't seek revenge and I can buy that. But typically what turning the other cheek meant was not only do I don't turn to revenge, but I also make my cheek available to be hit again. And we don't want to do that. We want to stop wrongdoing. We don't want to allow it to, to continue to, to repeat. So there's no doubt I'm pushing back against a lot of assumptions and a lot of assumptions that are very much rooted in kind of traditional or might I say narrow readings of biblical, of biblical scripture. You're a, a philosopher, so your 
very familiar with the history of philosophy. Are you in the Nietzschean camp in trying to <laughs> in trying to return to a, a pre-Christian system of values here? I don't know. I think I think the way in which you describe my, my work at the very beginning of this of this of the show, I think is spot on and it's very Nietzschean in the sense that I'm trying to do a kind of reevaluation of values. And so I think I think there are certain things that we think we know. Um, so we think we know what love is. We think we know what anger is. We think we know what forgiveness is. And when we think we know something, we have a tendency to always command it, always demand it, no matter what the context is. And that I think that creates problems in the world. And in the book, I'm trying to highlight some of the problems that this kind of narrow view of forgiveness and thinking that everybody ought to forgive in all contexts and all situations. I want to kind of highlight the problems, the problems with that. So what I'm trying to do is get us to kind of think about the, the morals, the values, the concepts, the emotions, the attitudes, the moral responses that we've learned or have been taught is always the way to respond to wrongdoing. I'm trying to get us to rethink, kind of reclaim the stuff we've been told not to do and try to rethink the things that we've always been told what to do. So in that way, that's very, very much, much Nietzschean. But I wouldn't say it's, it's an attack against Christianity per se. I think it's an attack against hegemonic kind of thinking about, about morality. Yeah, I've never really thought of, I'm not a Christian myself, so I've never really thought about the notion of God forgiving us for our sins and therefore we should forgive others. Uh, are you convinced, even if if you are, I'm not sure if you are a Christian, uh, should we be convinced with that? Can one be a Christian and reject or question the notion of God forgiving us for our sins? I think it's interesting when I, I mean, those are one of the, I, I had to really, when I was writing this book, I had to really kind of rethink a lot of stuff and try to put those kind of commands, principles, those kind of popular scriptures about forgiveness um, under, under, under scrutiny. And I think it's interesting, you know, I really don't like biconditionals. And so I, I'm, 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 in that sense, I'm, I think that we should do things because we think they are the right thing to do. I think we should do things because they're going to get us kind of uh, good moral results and not necessarily do something because we're going to benefit. So I've always found that scripture that you just quoted quite problematic, that if we want God's forgiveness, then we ought to forgive other people. I just think that, hey, what's wrong with just forgiving other people, despite <laughs> what you want for God to do for, for on your behalf? Um, so that's let me just let me just bracket bra bra bracket that. Um, but I'm concerned. I think that because there's been an overall belief that in Christendom that one ought to have a moral response to wrongdoing, which is which is forgiveness. I think instead of solving a lot of problems that perhaps can take place through the abuse of Christianity and Christian authority and Christian power, that forgiveness is often misused to perpetuate abuse. And so I want to kind of highlight kind of how we can even misuse Christian scriptures about forgiveness to perpetuate more wrongdoing in, in the world. And I know some people are very truly committed to their religious beliefs and they don't question them at all. Um, but I'm always of the, of the belief um, that if you are a, a believer in God, you gotta believe that if God grants you re reason and rationale that he or she has no problem with you questioning um, certain kinds of principles um, and, and they won't be offended as a result of that. And I'm trying to get people to question concepts and question particular particular principles and use the divine gift called, called reason 
to decide exactly how one want to or think they ought to respond to, to wrongdoing. Yeah, I wonder whether if, not that I want to be too cheeky here, but my issue, you know, <laughs> I, I, I have a tendency towards cheek. If one wanted to do a, a Freudian analysis of Christian thinking, the idea of God of, of, of God forgives, therefore we should be forgiving. Maybe one interpretation of that is to convince us that we should forgive God mm. Mm. for all the injustice in the world, given, you know, that's one of the, the classic questioning of God and Christianity or monotheism. How can there be a God if there's so much evil in the world? And that requires us to forgive this God. Right. I, I, I find that, I find that interesting. I think, one of the ideas that popped in my head when you when you said the scripture again, it kind of made me think that, you know, you think about certain kinds of roles and responsibilities, right? So people have a tendency, and I've written, I've written about this, people have a tendency to say, well, if Nelson, Nelson Mandela forgave, <laughs> right, or Martin Luther King Jr., if they forgave, then you should forgive. And there's always something strange about that because I think about, well, Nelson Mandela, Martin Luther King, they were in positions of leadership and they had these grand kind of moral goals that had to be achieved in a certain kind of way that required an intense, an intense kind of moral response, right? One might say something that's very superhuman and supernatural. Um, but they had a particular responsibility to do that. And that, because I don't have a responsibility, as just an ordinary human being who teaches philosophy, then I'm not obligated to do the kind of things that they did, including, including forgiveness. Now, one might even say that you could also apply that to God. You think about, well, if, if you believe in God, you believe God, you know, we are his children and, you know, parents, particularly divine parents, we just have a different responsibility towards their children. And, and you know, God is going to forgive his children. Well, I'm not God. And I don't have that mass massive responsibility that God has. And so perhaps I don't have the obligations that, 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 that God has. Now, I would say this, I, I would say this, it doesn't necessarily mean that these people are not wonderful or divinity is not wonderful exemplars of how we, we can respond to, to, to more wrongdoing. But I think we need to be careful thinking that because they did it or because they have a responsibility to do it, that therefore we ought to do it in all kinds of contexts. Um, I don't think that necessarily applies. And I think when we think in that particular way, things can go terribly terribly wrong yeah i i, I, have I, mean, admit, I, I haven't <laughs> forgiven god yet for creating donald trump he, he, he or she has to right, work a lot right. harder have to explain what exactly they were up to uh you mentioned right. and think about god has probably forgiven trump and of course we respect god to do that but for us to do that it just it just it's, it's yeah, just two it's different kind of responsibilities there. forgive trump do we forgive god you mentioned mandela and mlk both not just um iconic figures, but successful figures. Is there yeah. a utility to this idea of forgiveness? After all, I think a lot of the arguments about both MLK and Mandela is that they succeeded because they forgave. Mm -hmm. They succeeded mm -hmm. because they gave up on violence and they were willing mm -hmm. to talk to the racists and the other people who were subjecting their people. Is there a, a utilitarian case, Maisha, for forgiveness in that sense? Yeah, but here's the thing I want people to be careful of, that we have, a, we have a tendency to take these narratives of these particular leaders and make them very Hollywood, 
right? To the point that forgiveness ended up becoming like this magical story or this, this magical ingredient that did all the things. So it was forgiveness that created a new democratic South Africa. And it was forgiveness uh, that allowed the civil rights laws to be, to be passed. And I'm trying to get, I'm trying to demystify forgiveness in that particular way, because when we really look at the record, rhetoric of forgiveness, practices of forgiveness, and what Martin Luther King would call the love ethic was being used by his, his followers, by people in the movement, no doubt, right? But that was just one ingredient of the whole, of the whole story. They protested, right? People died, right? Uh, there were boycotts, right? London, you know, changed his heart, was sensitive and began to put certain kinds of laws in place. There's so many other things that account for the kind of success. And there was also an issue of timing. So there's a lot of things that account for, for, for the success and forgiveness is an, it was an ingredient that, they, that, that, that King used. And I would say the same thing for, for, for Mandela, right? Mandela comes out of jail. South Africa, in some ways, politicians are ready to create a new nation, right? This, wouldn't have happened, this didn't happen in the 60s for a reason, right? So I, I want us to be kind of careful with thinking that forgiveness did all the things and can do all the things when particularly in these particular cases, they were a small ingredient to get towards a new kind of kind of nation. And I think we need to be very careful with the narratives and the stories that we tell. I'm thinking that forgiveness did it, did it all. We are speaking with Maisha Cherry, the author of a new book, Failures of Forgiveness. I might call it the case against forgiveness, but <laughs> she already called uh, her, her previous book Case for Rage. So that's another issue. It's a fascinating subject. We're going to take a short break, remind everyone um, uh, of Liberties, the quarterly journal of culture and politics, who are generous enough to bring us this show. I'm going to run a short ad for Liberties, and then we'll be back with Maisha to talk a little bit more concretely, specifically about forgiveness, who we should and shouldn't forgive. So don't go away, anyone. Forgive me for this break. Beyond the news, the noise, there is nuance, insight. Liberties is not just a journal of ideas. It's a meteor of intelligent substance. It's the place to be for engaged citizens. Politics, opinion, substance. Liberties is a triumph for freedom of thought. A quarterly of urgency, of cultural exploration, of intellectual delight, of immaculate prose. It's invaluable. Subscribe now or find Liberties at your favorite bookseller. And you can subscribe to Liberties at libertiesjournal.com. Uh, we are speaking with my old friend Maisha Cherry, the author of Failures of Forgiveness. Uh, Maisha, let's talk a little bit more concretely about forgiving. It seems to me as if maybe we can break it down into two areas, although I'm sure there's more than two. The first is forgiving individuals for crimes, for, for, for one kind of wrong or another. And the second is is forgiving more broadly in a in a conceptual sense, in an abstract sense. Is that fair? I mean, it, it's one thing for uh, a, a Jew, for example, to forgive Adolf Eichmann. It's quite another to forgive the German people. The same might be true of of, of, of race and slavery in the United States. Yeah, it, it's it's interesting here because. All of our emotions and our attitudes are, are directed towards a particular target. I'm gonna get kind of philosophical here. They're directed towards particular targets. 
And particularly when we think about forgiveness, forgiveness is going to be a response. Um, it may be about wrongdoing, but it's directed towards a particular, a particular wrongdoer. And when you know the person who has harmed you, then you can say, hey, I'm going to forgive this person or um, I'm going to not forgive this particular, particular person. Now, these can get very, very complicated because one of the questions that arises in moral psychology is, is it possible uh, to forgive um, even people that you don't know? So say, for instance, I mean, you use the example, it's one thing to kind of, let's say, forgive Hitler, that's one particular target. Um, but if you were to make it in the abstract or, or generalize it to the point that you don't know who you're forgiving, it sounds, it sounds a, little, a little odd. What is interesting here, I, I think there's a lesson here, um, because it makes me go back to the, to the case of South Africa. So when they were involved in the Truth and Reconciliation Commission, and it was the, the, the victims' human rights violation hearings, and there were individuals that was get, getting up trying to tell their story of what happened to their, their particular loved ones. And it wasn't clear to them who did the wrong, who killed uh, their loved ones, who buried their, their loved ones. And one, one kind of a, a famous line that was being kind of repeated is, we want to forgive, but we don't know who to forgive. And so another aspect of, of the committee was to try to find out who committed these particular crimes. Um, of course, you want to hold them a, a accountable, and that's important. But also finding out who committed these crimes, holding them accountable, made people's forgiveness kind of less abstract, right, and more particular so that it can eventually happen. So I, I would say, I think the lesson of this is that it pays or it is helpful when you know who you need to forgive and who you should forgive. And I think depending on the wrongdoing, um, uh, particularly when it's institutional and it's kind of supported and kind of uh, hidden, hidden ways, that all the more makes it difficult for people to move forward. And I think as a community, what we need to do is to make sure that we bring wrongdoers to justice, um, that we try to get as specific as possible about who committed crimes, who's responsible for what. And what that's going to do is going to allow, if victims want to forgive, it's going to allow them to actually direct their forgiveness to a particular target or even direct their withholding of forgiveness towards a particular target. And I think that's important because that's going to allow them to, to, to repair themselves, uh, to seek a kind, of, a kind of release or relief or what I call kind of reconciliation in their own hearts. But finding out who we should direct it to is a very, very important. But important what would step. you do in America, for example, for African-Americans, you're African-American, who, who the issue of forgiving, so to speak, whites, although many American whites had nothing to do with slavery, how do you right. forgive that when the institution ended more than 150 years ago, almost 200 years ago? Yeah, yeah. So this, this, is, this is good. So this gets us into another territory about kind of who has the standing to forgive. And particularly when wrongdoings are general, or like happened previous generations. So the question is, okay, who, who's going to do the forgiving? You know, why do they have the right to forgive? And exactly who are they, who are they going to forgive? And that's, that's again why specificity is, is, very, is very important. So one might say that as a descendant of enslaved Africans, being that I didn't directly, uh, I wasn't directly enslaved, my, my ancestors was, that for a lot of people, it may feel strange for me to forgive on behalf of my ancestors. I mean, I wasn't the victim, so I can't, I can't forgive for them, right? Um, but 
there's room for like a kind of third party forgiveness. And I think, I think there's room for it because it allows you to get specific of, of exactly your, 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 your forgiving. So one might say this, there had been consequences of slavery in the United States. And those kind of the afterlife of that slavery still exists with us today, right? So there's still racism, there's still discrimination, there's still a, a wealth gap that, that, that exists. And there's present people who are perpetuating what was once done and that continues to this particular day. And I think when you see that, you can get a little, a little specific, right? So I don't know who owned my family uh, when my family was enslaved. Um, but I know that, you know, at different moments in my life, I have been a direct victim of the legacy of slavery. And I can point out the exact perpetrator. And in that way, I can say, I forgive, or I, I do not, I do not forgive. Or I can even say this, um, I don't know who the, perp, you know, who, the, who enslaved my family and all that stuff. Um, but I know that one of the consequences of slavery is that it, it, it really allowed Black people not to own anything for generations and generations. And so the fact that I had to start from scratch um, was, a, was the outcome of, of, of slavery. And I don't know who to forgive or who to withhold my forgiveness to, but I know that it was the system, as invisible as it may be, that allowed this to happen. And I'm mad at that system. I don't know who it is. And I may not never That's know the who, case who, who for age, right? Yeah. Yes. So yes, how would you respond? Yes. I mean, I so, and you know these arguments way, way better than I do inside out. I'm sure you deal with them in the classroom and you think about them all the time. Uh, a lot of this stuff, for better or worse, in America does break down into skin color. How would you respond to the white person who says, uh, I don't need to be forgiven. My family wasn't here. And even if they were in the 19th century, they were in the north or they didn't own slaves. Um, is this issue of forgiveness... Does it require an imagination on both sides for the people both forgiving and the people who are being forgiven? Yeah. So, so this is this is this is this is interesting here because, and we could even apply this to an interpersonal context. Wrongdoings can be done, and if we don't repair kind of the wrongdoing, the after effects of that wrongdoing and can remain with us in the present. So whether we were, we were here in the initial wrongdoing, it doesn't really matter. But if we actively engage in perpetuating kind of the horrible after effects of that initial wrongdoing, we may not have played a huge part, but we played a, a, a small part. Now, one of the things I wanna be very clear of when it comes to even race relations in general, I don't think all white people should be blamed <laughs> for, for racial injustice. Right? Just like I don't think all men should be blamed for, for misogyny. Um, and whether you think you should be blamed for a small part, I think you need to be honest with yourself and think about how kind of changing, changing your, your, your particular ways in, in, in that particular regard. But I think all of us have, a, if anything, all, I think all of us have a role to play in making sure that the present that we have today and the future that we want to, to have is a better future. And that does require active engagement for all people and it doesn't depend if you had a role, if you had a role to play 500 years ago or, or not, if your family was here or not. We, in the present context of building a better nation, to me, that's more important. We all have a role to play to make sure that happens. You talked about repair. And of course, one word that comes out of repair is reparations, hugely controversial issue in California. There's talk about reparations for black Americans in San Francisco have lived here for many generations. How does reparations fit in to the, the case against 
forgiveness or the case for a more yeah. complicated way of thinking about forgiveness. On the one hand, reparations may be an excuse for not forgiving. On, on another hand, of course, it's more complicated. How do you feel about this relationship between reparations of one kind or another and forgiveness? Yeah, and we, we tend to think that, that reparations, when, we, when you even hear the word reparations, you immediately think about the African-American context in America and, and, and rectifying slavery. Um, but when I think about reparations, I, I go back to South Africa and I think about as much as many people thought that the only thing that was happening in trying to build a new democratic South Africa was these hearings and people saying, I forgive. But there was also other committees. There was an amnesty committee and that committee was responsible for bringing people to justice. But there was also a reparations committee, right? There was land that was taken away uh, for black South Africans and trying to figure out how to bring that land back. And here, here's, here's the lesson in that, that political project of, of reconciliation that was trying to be done is that they understood that as much as they were talking about forgiveness, they knew that there were other things that needed to be done to really reach the goal, which is a democratic South Africa, to really reach that ultimate, ultimate goal. And it goes back to something I've been saying is that forgiveness was a piece of it. But they felt that, hey, if you want people to coexist together, maybe you need to get some of this stuff back. <laughs> maybe that will help them live with, 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 with other people, right? So I think, I think reparations, um, restoring that which was stolen from someone else in the context of, 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 of South Africa, can be a way, can give a victim a reason to say, you know what, I can trust this person again, or I can trust this, 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 this nation, this nation again. Um, but there are some things that, that money can't buy. <laughs> there are some things that can't be repaired. I think that's one of the things that I echo, echo in, the, in, the, in the book, um, unfortunately. Um, but I think, I think what reparations can do, whether it's interpersonal or whether it's more of a national scene, can perhaps give a, a victim a reason to, to forgive. Well, let's end on that second category. We've talked more abstractly about one group of people forgiving another group. Uh, I know you have the example of the Mother Emmanuel Nine of these, uh, the, this tragedy, this catastrophe, great crime of uh, nine people shot to death, murdered uh, by hate-filled uh, gunmen entering a church in Charleston. Um, and, and you cite, I'm not sure if it's Oprah, but other public figures who um, applauded the notion of forgiveness and i know you question that in some way tell me more about that yeah i, re I remember what that happened like it, you know, happened in 2016 and i remember it like it was yesterday and i think the reason why i remember and i think a reason why a lot of people remember it was not just how the wrongdoing <laughs> was just awful right a guy that was welcome into the church was the same guy who, who murdered these individuals but i think people also remember not only given the gravity of the wrongdoing was the family's response so at his court appearance um he goes before the judge and and and, and the victim's families was in attendance and some of them got up to speak and some of them said you know i forgive you or i'm going to try to forgive you and we we found that astonishing Right, because we knew perhaps if we were in the, the shoes, if we switched shoes, we probably would not have had had that 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 forgiving response. So something about that was like we we wouldn't have responded that way. Oh my goodness! I mean, these people are are, are wonderful. I mean, with such a benevolent res response, and there's no doubt that I believe that that was a benevolent response that that showed a kind of moral character that I think should be should be should be applauded. And I understand why 
uh, people were were apl applauding it, right? Because they didn't need to, to do that. We they would have been justified with withholding their forgiveness. One of the things that I was worried about was not necessarily their forgiving response. I was really worried about was our response to their forgiveness. And when the their responses was recorded in the in newspapers, it seems like what was a headline was not the atrocity that took place. It was the forgiveness that took place. And so I became very worried that once again, uh, forgiveness was being praised in ways that was obscuring the actual, the actual wrongdoing. Um, that forgiveness was being um, talked about as if it alone could now heal our racial problems, can, can undo- but Might that be you reading, what people actually saying, that it was that you reading into it? Well, when you, when you take a headline and you notice that it's about the family's forgiveness, and then you actually read the articles, which I kind of did a lot of archival stuff there. And you realize that that was the story. That was, a, that was the story. That was the story. And I, I want to say there's nothing wrong with praising them. But, but here, here's, 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 here's another example. And there was a book that was done um, about their response by, by journalists that kind of went into more detail about their forgiving response. What wasn't talked about in these news articles were the family members who did not forgive. And I think that's an example of the Hollywood stories that I tell ourselves. Listen, I have no problem with telling stories of forgiveness. But let's also tell the story about the wrongdoing. And let's also admit that there were people who did not forgive. And I think we can become so obsessed in some ways with the happy endings, with the wonderful, mm. beautiful, positive stories, whether that's forgiveness or whether that's love, that we do it in ways that we don't intentionally seek to do it but we do it in ways that's obscuring other moral responses that can be respected, that can be just as morally praiseworthy. And that's my, that's my concern. Yeah, I agree. And actually, when you have that, those kind of headlines make people who are not willing to forgive for one reason or other somehow feel bad about themselves and look bad. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And that's, that's my worry, right? I, I, think, I think we can praise people who forgive, but we need very, very careful with with judging people who decide for a variety of reasons, justifiable reasons, not to forgive or not to forgive at this particular time. And that's what I think we need to, we need to be very careful, careful about. Because in the end, we can also, in doing that, we can make them resistant to the possibility of forgiveness in the future.